You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to church today. I love how Pastor Greg said it. I'm so glad to have come here today. I'm so glad to see these amazing testimonies and to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, even as I get to watch the testimony. I don't know if you're like me, but you watch the testimonies, you think of your own testimony, and some of those really ring, they ring the bell of, yeah, that was like me, that was like me. And God did a great work in their life, just like he's done a great work in my life. And you find your heart praising Jesus and, and clapping for that person. Yeah, but you're also clapping for, God, you saved me too? Am I the only one like that? Maybe, maybe. Okay, all right. Hey, listen, if you've got a copy of God's word, would you go with me to uh, Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going today. It's all about citizenship today. In fact, we're going to hit the, the capstone verse of our entire series. Our series is called Citizens of Heaven. We're walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And now we come to this great verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we base the entire series titled Citizens of Heaven off of this. And that's the message title as well today, Citizens of Heaven. And I think of citizenship, I think of some of my most favorite nationalistic moments in, in, in humanity, and they tend to rise up in sporting events. I don't know if, you're, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Olympics, so I watch that, and, and my wife is American, I'm Canadian, so there's a little bit of discord in our home, just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, we usually win in the winter. She usually was in the summer. It's all good. We concede that point. But one of my favorite ones to watch, and I have no, I have no care for the sport, is the World Cup. You know where they kick the little black and white ball around, and then they argue about what you call it, whether it's soccer or football. But, but man, don't you, don't you see the flags hit the cars when that happens? And as long as your, your team is still playing, the flag is up, and you are proud, but then when your team loses, that flag kind of slowly comes down again. You know what, I've all, what else I've no, also noticed is that nationalistic pride rises the most when you're not in your home country. And you see that? Like people boldly, yes, our team is winning. It's my people. It's my, they're honking and waving at people with the same flag. It's the same, isn't it? The, the displaced people still love their home teams. I came across this great picture this week. This guy clearly not at his home game. <laughs> isn't that great? This is a rugby match. Something bad has just happened to the blue team. You can see it on their faces. This guy's loving it though. I was, I was looking at that picture, I was like, man, it is a good thing that that is a big man, because that is a dangerous place to be. Displaced people still love their home teams. Paul picks this up when he writes to the Philippian believers, and we've seen this over and over again in the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippi is, is, is really a Roman soldier retirement village. It was, a, it was a nice place to live, and after serving in the Roman military some 20, 25 years, you were allowed to retire, and a lot of these guys chose Philippi as a place. There's a reason why, because they were proud people. Philippi was a place that was proudly, continually identifying with Rome. They spoke the Roman language of Latin. They, they, they loved to wear what Romans wore in Rome. And, and keep in mind, if you got in the car right now from Rome and drove to Philippi, it would take you 20 hours. So they're far away. This is, like, this is like down in Florida to us. A little colony that was so flag-waving the Roman people. They were so proud. In fact, you can almost imagine that if there was a soccer match uh, where Rome was playing Philippi and they were in Philippi, you can just imagine the Philippians cheering for Rome. They just loved this place. These guys were like the Yankee fans at Fenway Park. 
just cheering and boldly flying that flag. Now, Paul picks that up, and he, he, he picks up his pen, and he wants to capture an idea today. And as, as he writes them, he says, listen, if, 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 if you want this as well, if you want to live the Christian life, you need to live as a citizen of heaven. Remember the reason why uh, Paul wrote Philippians? He gave us a few at the beginning of our series. We talked about these. To encourage reliable partners, to strengthen those facing hostility, to wake them up. They're distracted by internal competition, to persevere and resolve within opposition, to call for mature discipleship, all because they recognize that they're not citizens of this world, but citizens of heaven. And over and over again in the book of Philippians, Paul will write and essentially tell them, hey, listen, are you flying the wrong flag? Are you flying the flag of world, world, world? Yes, world. Well, you need to be flying the flag as a citizen of heaven. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. So you need to act like a citizen of heaven. Again, what's at stake is, is encouragement in the face of opposition. It's strength in the face of adversity. It's urgency in the world around us. It's perseverance despite hardship. It's maturity in Christ. Paul says, if you want those things, Philippi, Church at Philippi, if you want those things, then you need to behave as a citizen of heaven. Just like you're in Philippi and you're identifying as Romans in this world, you need to be identifying not as a citizen of this world, but as a citizen of heaven. He calls them and asks them, what is the jersey that your heart is wearing right now? Does it say earth or does it say heaven on it? Paul's message for the Philippians is the same message for us today. As we ask the question, where's our citizenship? Where's our citizenship? Where am I most comfortable with? Do I love this world that I'm in? Do, or do I long for a different place? What jersey am I wearing? What flag am I flying? Well, again, what's at stake? Encouragement, strength, urgency, maturity, perseverance. Those are big things. I want those things in my life. And if you want those things, Paul says, then you need to identify as a citizen of heaven. You need to live as a citizen of heaven. Now, how do I know if I'm living as a citizen of heaven? Well, this morning, we're going to take a little citizenship test. As we walk through the text of God's word, Paul's going to give us two ways that we can know if we're citizens of heaven. Again, let's do the citizenship test together. Verse 17, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. How can I know that I'm a citizen of heaven? Paul gives us the first citizenship test here. It's this. Citizens have the right heroes. Citizens have the right heroes. Paul says in verse 17, join in imitating me. Now that word for imitating, we directly take our English word for symmetry. And it means essentially photocopy your life to my life. And not just me, Paul says, but keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in me, Paul, in us. Uh, Paul has set the example for this church. Way back in Acts chapter, 9, Acts chapter 16, Paul walks into Philippi first time. He, he begins preaching the gospel. People begin hearing the message of Jesus Christ, giving their lives over to Jesus Christ. And the church is founded in Acts chapter 16. And then Paul begins to, to, to minister to the people. And now he says, listen, listen, what you saw in me, what you heard from me, 
how you saw me live, saw me live my life, how you saw me speak to you and what you heard from me and the words I've written to you, those are the things you need to be photocopying. Take that and photocopy it in my life. This, and, and this is a common thing that Paul says. He says this again and again and again. This, this kind of imitate my life. Look at my life and follow me. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I urge you then, be imitators of me. In 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 2 Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me. In faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What's he saying here? He's saying, look at my life and follow me. Photocopy your life to my life. Now, does that seem odd? Like if someone came up to you in the street and said, hey, you know what your problem is? Your problem is, is you don't look enough like me. You know how I, you got to follow me. You got to be like me. You got to dress like me. You got to talk, you got to tell the same jokes. You got to follow the same uh, social media accounts. You got to read the same books. You got to watch the same kind of things. You need to look like me. Now, that seems a little strange, doesn't it? Does that mean then when Paul says you got to follow me, uh, that, 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 that I need to follow everything about Paul? Is Paul saying, make yourself an exact photocopy of my life? No, no, no it doesn't. Look at verse 12 in, in chapter 3. We saw this last week. Verse 12, chapter 3, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So wait a minute, I'm supposed to follow Paul's example. I'm supposed to follow Paul's life, but Paul says he's not perfect. Paul's not the perfect example, so what am I supposed to do here? Uh, what, are the, what are the Philippians supposed to photocopy themselves to? How are we supposed to imitate Paul in this? Well, we're supposed to follow him in his example, his broken pursuit of Jesus Christ. But not just Paul, he says, you're supposed to keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Follow people who look like me, says Paul. Follow people who are just as broken as I am, who are just as eager to pursue Jesus Christ as I am. See how I'm running after Christ? You see how I'm not perfect? I haven't obtained it yet, but I'm still chasing after Jesus? That's the kind of heart you need to be following. This is the kind of people that you need to be following in this life. Find people who look like me or follow me directly, says Paul. Emulating someone is only to be done with the aim that you look more like Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't want you to look like me. Don't look like me. I want you to look like Jesus. Did you notice that having heroes is biblical? Having heroes is biblical. The problem is not that we have heroes, mind you. The problem is that we have the wrong heroes. Our problem is that we have selected losers to be our heroes. That sounds harsh. What do you mean by that, verse, Craig? Verse 18, Paul says it right here. For many, of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, we're not entirely sure who Paul's talking about here, but whoever they are, they're contrasted with the people that we're supposed to be following. These are the wrong kinds of people to be following. These are the losers to follow. Notice that they're enemies of Jesus Christ, and specifically, they're enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't want anything to do with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, then count me out, man. You don't have to follow Jesus that way. You can follow Jesus and get all of these great, wonderful things and never have to suffer. They're enemies of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. They don't want it. 
They don't want that stuff. They avoid it at all costs. Look at the characteristics of them. Again, just heads down in verse 19. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? I think you understand that they're not bowing down and worshiping their belly. That's physically impossible to do. Think about it. You can't. What am I talking? What is he talking about here? It's their appetites. These are the kind of people that live for the next thing. If I can just get the next bit of food in my mouth, if I can just get the next experience over, if I can just make that next purchase, if I can just meet that next person, if I can just go that next destination, it's living immediately for the next appetite that surfaces. I have this desire. I shall fill this desire as immediate as possible. Their God is their belly. They worship their appetites. They glory in their shame, he says. What does that mean? They glory in their shame. Think about it. You know what it means. They glory in their shame. They do shameful things they know they shouldn't do, and they brag about it. You ever met anybody like that? Ah, look at me. Look what I did. Let me take a picture of it. Let me post it. Let me tweet it out. Look at me. Who cares? I just did it. Oh, well. Look at the next thing I just did. They glory in their shame. Their minds, it says, are set on earthly things. These are the kind of people who desire earthly things for their own personal gratification. It's all about now. It's all about here. It's all about me. And then what's the end of it? It starts in verse 19. What, what, ends, what happens to these people? Why am I calling them losers? Well, their end is destruction. They lose. So there you go. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Their end is destruction. Question now, why would Paul write them and say, don't follow these kinds of people? These are the opposite to the kinds of people you need to be following. Why would Paul write them? Why in the world would you follow something like that? I'll tell you why. You won't like it, though. You follow somebody like that because whether you would like to admit it or not, your God is your belly sometimes. You glory in your shame sometimes. Your mind is set on earthly things. You kind of like to follow your appetites. You, you kind of like to live for the things of the world. If that's the case, Paul says, well then guess what? You're not going to find the strength you need for this life in Christ. You're not going to find the, live with the urgency you need. You're not going to persevere in the middle of difficulty. You're not going to find the encouragement that you need for this life. You're not going to find it. If you live that, if these are your heroes and you're following in that way, well, you're not going to find encouragement when their end is loss and their end is destruction. If you don't want it, it, it then you won't chase after it. If you don't want to pursue Christ like that, then you won't. You'll pursue something else. You'll pursue someone who tells you that you can get what you want to get. Now, two applications come out of this right away. The first, I think you can see this, is I'm asking you the question, who are your heroes this morning? Who are your heroes? What kind of flags are you flying? What are the teams that you're cheering for? Who are the people in your life that you're like, yeah, who are the men and who are the women that in your life that you are following? Are they men and women who are enemies of Jesus Christ? I want you to think about it for a second. What is the greatest aim of your life right now? If you could have that thing, if you could do, what, who has a life that you really, really want? And is that a life that deserves to be imitated? Is that a life that deserves to be photocopied? So maybe it's, maybe it's you look on the social media thread and you see the perfect family, 
and they've got this perfect picture, and the, and the, the coloring is perfect, and they're wearing perfect clothing with perfect teeth, and you look at them and say, if I could just have that family, never mind how godly they are, never mind how they pursue, I just want our family to look like, why can't we be a normal family? What, 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 you watch them, and you, you're, maybe you follow them, and you hear about the vacation that they went on. Oh, I want to go on that vacation. You hear about the new purchase they made. They made that purchase. I want that purchase. They got the new, look at the car. I want that. But you don't, but is it because of their godliness that you want that? Is that why you want to follow that? What about, what about the appearance of the person? Maybe you're looking at the person. This happens all the time, doesn't it? Oh, if I could just look like that person. Oh, look at how they look today. This is maybe not so much guys, but it does happen to us. You know, look at the hair. Or in my case, oh, they have hair. That's wonderful. You don't have to fake it with a beard. You know? But you know what I mean? Like, like I, could, I, I wish I could fit into the clothes like that. I wish I had nice clothes like that. I wish I had the brand. I wish I had the shoes like that. Are you wanting to follow them and photocopy them because of their godliness? Or because of their worldliness? How about the money in the account? I wish I had that kind of bank. I wish I had that kind of resource. Are you wanting to follow them because of their godliness? Or because of their worldliness? Or the talents, gifts, abilities? It goes on and on and on. Are you wanting to photocopy your life to somebody else's life because of their godliness? Or ask your heart because of their worldliness? Even though their end is destruction. Who's your hero in life? Who are you, who are you opening your heart to and allowing them to speak into your life? Who are you letting be a hero in your life? Well, maybe you're like, well, I don't have any. I, I want this. I want this kind of godly hero in my life. Well, this may be the second application for you, which is how do you find these kinds of heroes? You're, maybe you were trying. You were desperately wanting this. Where are these people? Where are these people? I want these people in my life. Well, here's a couple of things maybe you haven't thought of. A couple, couple ways to find these heroes. The first is, is, is Paul. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. That's Paul. You have this access as well. Paul wrote, many, Paul wrote many letters in the New Testament. You can read them. You can see how Paul suffered. You can see how Paul endured hardship. You can see how Paul embraced joy, how he found contentment, how he endured difficulty after difficulty and yet followed hard after his Lord. He can serve as a wonderful hero in your life. In fact, I think that's biblical. He's supposed to. We're supposed to follow this man as he follows Christ. You say, okay, all right, all right. Can we have somebody maybe a little closer in time to us uh, than Paul? I get it. Paul, that's great. Anybody closer that I can maybe be a hero? And, and Yeah, I think there are. There's, there's other dead people that you can follow. <laughs> maybe in the books they write or the poetry that they write or the sermons that they preach. I put together a list of my heroes. I gave them fun names because they really mean a lot to me. These are my buddies. Uh, none of them are, 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 are walking right now on this earth. Matthew Henry, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Robert Murray Machane, Charles Spurgeon, who incidentally used Matthew Henry, uh, Oswald Chambers. By the way, all those in that first column, they're all free to you. The, the ex copyrights have expired. You can go online, find the stuff that they wrote. You can read the sermons that they wrote. You can read the meditations that they wrote. Uh, how about this one? Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, 
or A.W. Tozer, Jerry Bridges, who just went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago, or R.C. Sproul, who just went home to be with the Lord just at the end of last year. All of these guys, amazing, wonderful people. And I don't agree with all of what they say, but I love their heart, and they've done a massive amount of discipleship in my life. And by the way, I do know that none of them right now are dead. I know that all of them right now are more alive than they've ever been before the Lord. I know that. Um, so you could go with Paul, you could go with those people. He's like, okay, can I get some people who are alive, Craig? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of people that are still alive. I get a lot from people who are still alive. You can get, by the way, that's all, you can get that like I can get that. And you can now, how wonderful it is that we live in a world that we live in right now that you could go home after this sermon and you could sit down at your your desk and you could type in with a few keystrokes, give me a better sermon on Philippians 3, 17 to 4, 1. And you could get a dozen guys who preach a way better sermon. That's all accessible to you. You can listen to them right now. And you say, okay, how about somebody who's alive, Craig, somebody who's near the time, and somebody I can actually meet, like face to face. How about a hero like that, Craig? That's what I'm looking for. Well, yeah, absolutely. This is why this church is here. This church is filled with men and women, countless men and women, who are striving after the Lord. Men and women who have played a huge role in my life, and who've discipled me and encouraged me, and they can encourage you as well. But here's the thing, though. You you chase after what you want. you got to get in to get this kind of help. If you want that, too, you need to connect. I think what so many of us do, though, is we treat church like it's Domino's Pizza. We sit on our couch, maybe in our slippers and PJs, and we dial up the phone and we say, yes, can you deliver me a mentor in my life? I'll be here waiting. Well, the church isn't like Domino's Pizza. The church is like a good steakhouse, all right? You don't call up a steakhouse with your slippers on and say, can you bring me my steak now, please? No, you you, you get dressed. It's an event. You you walk out of your house. You drive to the steakhouse. You wait in line because it's worth waiting in line for. You sit down, and then you open up the menu. I'll have this, please. And then it takes time to bring that to you, and then it comes to you, and then you enjoy the steakhouse. That's how the church is with mentors. If you want that, you got to come in. You got to lean in. You got to run to find it. You got to meet people in this church. And trust me, there's there's hundreds of men and women in this church who are leaning into the grace of Jesus Christ and who are chasing after his goodness. Again, if you're hungry for this, if you want that kind of encouragement, if you want that kind of strength to live the Christian life, to find the urgency to live the Christian life, to find the perseverance in the midst of trial, and to find maturity in Jesus Christ, then you will run after this. You'll find the right kind of heroes. But if you want it, you'll chase after it. You gotta want it, though. You gotta want it. Now, now before we move on from this, can I just say something to, 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 to real human beings here for a moment? Because I think this is important when we're looking for heroes. Before I leave this, I want you to know that you are not looking for a perfect person. You're not looking for a perfect person. You're looking for a broken person who is in their brokenness pursuing Christ. You're looking for a person who says, like Paul, not that I've already obtained this, but I'm pressing on to find it. You're looking for that. You're not looking for perfect people. Why are you not looking for perfect people? Because, listen, perfect people don't follow Jesus. The healthy don't need doctors, Jesus said. It's the sick who need doctors. You're looking for a broken man or a broken woman who's looking and clinging to Jesus Christ. The day that person stops becoming a a broken person, they have reached perfection, is the day that I don't want to follow them anymore. 
I don't need that kind of perfect man. I don't need that kind of uh, that, that, that thing. In my, I'm not looking for a perfect person in my life. I'll be honest with you. I've already found a perfect person in my life. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm looking for broken people who are running after Jesus Christ as hard as they possibly can. That's what I'm looking for. That's what you need to be looking for as well. You don't need a success plan. I don't need someone coming to me and saying, hey, this is how you improve your life with 10 steps. Pull up your bootstraps, work harder, cling to, go ahead and do it. No, 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 I don't need that. I don't need a plan for success. I need a plan for when I fail, which is all the time. I want a man who says, I know how your sin is in your life. But what I have found is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you, Craig. Let's run to him. I have tasted, I have seen that the Lord is good. Walk with him. That's what I need. That's the kind of person I can follow. And that's the kind of heroes that Paul calls us to follow. And that's the kind of heroes that you need in your life. Not people whose end is destruction. You need people whose end is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship test. What kind of heroes do you have? Well, if we're going to live as a citizen of heaven, we need to have the right heroes. Here's the second test question. Let's read verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Citizens of heaven, you have the right heroes, but then secondly, you have the right hope. You have the right hope. Rather than the world and all of the desires and aspirations of the world, our citizenship is in heaven as followers of Jesus Christ. And with that comes an amazing and a wondrous hope. In fact, the hope comes from that word await. We await. It's abated. Yes, please, please come. But do you notice in the text that the hope, as citizens of heaven, the hope isn't heaven. Now, one thing I've learned, one thing that I've learned as a, as a preacher is that you tend to write things down when I put things on a screen. So let me say this again. The hope isn't heaven. You follow me? Let me make it all caps. The hope isn't heaven. Are you following me? Let me paint it bigger. The hope isn't heaven. The hope isn't the destination. The hope is what's inside the destination, specifically who's at the destination. You understand me? Let me put it this way. This is played out all across the world around college season, as young men and young women go off to college, and they meet at, a, at, a, at a, a location far from both of their homes. They meet each other, they begin to fall in love, they begin to like each other, this could be serious, God could be doing something, wow, how wondrous this is. And then an event happens, right? It happens all over the time, all over the place. Uh, the event is, I will drive you home for that big meal. And so the young man drives the young lady home, and, he, and then now, a uh, first time in his life, he has entered into the, the young lady's hometown. And she begins to show him all around. This is where I went to high school. This is where we had burgers. This is, this is where my family grew up. This is our first home. This is our second. And then what happens is the young man begins to know the hometown quite well. And then the, the, meets the family, which is always really fun. And then he drives home, and the relationship continues on and on and on. But while the, while the young man is separated from the young woman, where is his heart? His heart is like, he's thinking of that wonderful hometown. He's knowing the turns, and the, he, he has an affection now for that hometown. Why does he have an affection for that hometown? I'll tell you, it's not because of the libraries. 
It ain't because of the parks, because they got some kind of new colored squirrel there. No. <laughs> he loves that town because the love of his life is in that town. Citizens of heaven. The hope isn't heaven. The hope is the love of your life in heaven. The king of heaven, Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't love heaven because there's no sickness there. That's wonderful. We don't love heaven because there's no death there. That's wonderful too. Or that there's no sin there. Wonderful. Or even that we get reunited with loved ones that we've lost. That's wonderful too. No, no, no. Heaven is our great hope because Jesus is there. The hope is in heaven. The hope is Jesus. Look at verse 20. It tells us right there. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. We're not waiting for heaven. We're waiting for Jesus. You get that, people? You're not waiting for heaven. You're waiting for Jesus. But I ask you the question, what excites you the most about heaven, though? That's a penetrating question. What are you most excited about heaven? Is it Jesus? John Piper, he wrote this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? We're not there. And the citizen of heaven says, no. Take me where Jesus is, wherever that is. Take me where my king is. Take me where he is. He's my great hope. The best and the final gift of the gospel is that we gain Christ. The greatest longing of a citizen of heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Well, the text gives us several reasons right there. Again, again, what's at stake here is encouragement for the day, is strength to handle things, to urgency to walk in this Christian life, to persevere, to find ourselves living with urgency in the day and seek Christian maturity. There's a lot at stake here. If Jesus isn't our hope, then all of these things go away. But if Jesus is our hope, then these things come to our life. Now, why is he our hope? Look with me at verse 20. Well, I'll tell you, because he's our Savior, but our citizenship is from heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the great and awesome truth that this book speaks to us is that there was a moment in time when all of us turned away from God and walked away and said, not your rules, God, not your ways, God, my rules, my ways. The Bible called that sin. We had turned away from the one who had loved us most in the world, and we have rebelled against him, and we've run not towards success and life and wonder and fun. We've run towards sin and death and the consequences of a hardened life away from God. We were not meant to live like that. But God, who loves us infinitely so, says, I am not willing that they should perish. I love them. And so the Son of God is sent, Jesus Christ. He offers himself freely upon a cross, sacrifices his life for you and I, that our sin might go upon his shoulders, and being washed away might now receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and now be adopted as sons of God, and be forgiven and forgiven in Jesus Christ. The great hope of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is our Savior from the sin and the consequences of sin. Yes, but there's also coming a day when we will be removed from the presence of sin entirely. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to a day when I don't have to deal with myself again. My problems, my sicknesses, my sin, I'm sick of it. And our hope 
is that when he comes, that is answered as well. That is gone from us. That's coming when he comes. But not only that, he's going to also, the, the text tells us, he'll transform our lowly bodies. I love that word. Anybody with a lowly body this morning? Those of you who are under 20 didn't raise your hand. You'll learn, you'll learn. Look at verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be, not just transform it, but to be like his glorious body. That word for lowly, I looked it up, it literally means to be humble or humiliated, to be weak and unimportant. Humble, humiliated, weak, unimportant, and yet loved by Jesus Christ and transformed someday into the image of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John picks this up as well in his letter. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we're talking about Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The reality for the, for the follower of Jesus Christ, the citizen of heaven, is that our lowly bodies get transformed by him. That's coming when Jesus, our hope, comes for us. But there's a third thing that happens. Look at verse 21. Again, by, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Why is Jesus our hope? Well, because he's going to subject all things to himself. That word for subject literally means to push down into place. That's where you go. What's he doing that to? The all things is not pushing us down. It's pushing down all the wrongs. This is the pushing down every evil deed that was ever done, now made right. Every wrong ever undone. Every injustice ever corrected. Every offense ever removed. All of it gone. All of it washed away when our hope from heaven comes. Now in the, in the the 19th century, this guy, Henry Alford, he penned this hymn. I'd never found this before, but I love the words of it. 10,000 times 10,000 is the name of it. It's got lots in it. It's like seven stanzas long. Let me show you the first two. 10,000 times 10,000, this is us in Christ. This is the citizens of heaven. In sparkling raiment bright, the armies of the ransomed saints throng up the steeps of light. Tis finished, all's finished, their fight with death and sin. Fling open wide the golden gates and let the victors in. Now check the second stanza. What a rush of hallelujahs fill all earth and sky. What ringing of a thousand harps bespeaks the triumph nigh. O day for which creation and all its tribes were made. Now check this last line. O joy for all its former woes, a thousandfold repaid subjecting all things to himself. Every evil deed undone, every wrong made right, every injustice corrected, all of that, that's coming when Jesus comes. The righting of wrongs, the transformation of lowly bodies, the appearance of our Savior. Citizens of heaven, take the test. What's my greatest hope today? Who are my heroes today? Again, what's at stake? Urgency, strength, Encouragement, perseverance, maturity in Jesus Christ. Are those things you want? Then these are things that we need to do. We need to put the right flag up, as Paul tells us. We need to live for Jesus and find these things to be true. And then Paul finishes this portion that we have right now, chapter 4, verse 1, just with this heartfelt plea. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm like this 
in the Lord. If you want to stand firm, you want to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, then you got to have the right kind of heroes in your life. And you got to have the right kind of hope in your life. You get the right heroes, you get the right hope, you can run the race with perseverance as it's laid out before you by faith in the Son of God. Let me pray for us. Thank you again, God, for the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel says to us that there's nothing that we can do. As religion is spelled D-O, our faith, Christianity, is spelled D-O-N-E. There's nothing we can do. It's all been done by you. So we cling to the grace that you give. And God, I pray for the hearts that are in this room that need you, need to hear from you. Lord, would you draw them to you? We thank you for the morning that we've had of worship and song and baptism and your word and now in song again. God, would you be glorified in this as we recognize it's not us, it's you. We long for you, we hope for you. And I pray, Lord, even now as we, as we sing our final song together, I pray, God, that you would be longed for in every heart in this room. Please, God, draw us to you. We need you. Be glorified now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.